Yeah, so today we're going to continue in the book of Mark, as we've been doing for the last few weeks. And we're going to look at a, a place in the book of Mark where Jesus takes a strategic stand on something. He, he, uh, he, does a, he takes a strategic stand, stand. Jesus was really good at getting under the skin of religious people, called the Pharisees in Scripture. But people who knew a lot about God, Jesus always was revealing where their heart was. Where, where their heart was, and he was really good at exposing religious people. And so we're going to look at two stories today in Mark that make the same point. There are two stories that make the same point, and where Jesus teaches us something very important, and it's this. Um, Jesus calls us to love mercy, not perfection. So Jesus calls us to love mercy, not perfection, and he does that in two stories we see back-to-back in the book of Mark. And if you want to know what's the difference between having a religious heart and having a heart that's transformed by Jesus, it's this. Does your heart, does the overflow of your heart, does it scream mercy? When you look at others in pain, does it say mercy, or are you pursuing some kind of personal perfection? And that's what Jesus gets at today. And when we talk about perfection, I think it's easy for us to dismiss it because I haven't met a single person in my life that said, I'm perfect. Have you? I know we've said things at CTK like no perfect people allowed, and I'm pretty sure it would take a pretty audacious, maybe a cult leader, to come up and say, I'm perfect, I got it figured out, follow me. All right? If someone says they're perfect, they're probably a cult leader, okay? Just put that away in your minds. And so we got to go a little bit deeper than just that when we talk about perfection. And so I, I came up with a really great phrase that is, we probably all know, but it's high maintenance, all right? Let's talk about being high maintenance. Now, high maintenance is a term that I started using in high school when people started dating, right? Like, oh, don't date her, she's super high maintenance, right? And then uh, I didn't follow that advice, by the way. This was in high school. This was not Bonnie. Bonnie's not high maintenance at all, so she's great. Um, but I think we're all a little high-maintenance about something. I happen to be really high-maintenance about the way that my shirts are dried. All right? I, I used to, 10 years ago, I used to dry my shirts in the dryer like a normal human. And it would take one hour to dry them. And then I had a friend come stay with us for a week. And he saw that I was drying my shirts in the dryer, and he told me, hey, you know, you know you're ruining your clothes when you put them in the dryer, right? You're making them fade. They're shortening. Your shirts are shortening every time you put them in the dryer. You need to hang dry your shirts. And so that's what I've been doing for 10 years. I've been hang drying. The only shirt I will throw in the dryer is one I'm good with mowing the lawn in, you know? <laughs> I will not throw any shirt I wear in public in the dryer. I just won't do it. So I hang dry them, I iron them. I'm high maintenance when it comes to laundry. I'm so high maintenance that Bonnie is like, won't do laundry anymore <laughs> because she's accidentally dried some of my shirts in the dryer. And, and I know a lot of you haven't seen me mad, but I get mad. I do. I get, I get mad. One time she, she dried a whole load of my shirts, and I thought I was going to have to go out and buy all new clothes. I was freaking out, and I didn't have to. I calmed down, but I'm super high maintenance when it comes to 
If you go to my house, you'll see in my laundry room, there's a rack and all my shirts are hanging there. Uh, so I'm, I'm high maintenance about that. I'm also high maintenance about music. If you ride in the car with me and I get to control the speaker, I'm gonna flip through about 20 songs until I find one that's okay. So, so laundry and music are two things I'm really high maintenance about. Yeah. Hey man, you know, I'm not perfect, okay? So, yeah, I need to be up here at the altar too, so. But I think we're all a little high maintenance. Yours might not be laundry or music or something like that, but I'm sure that there's something that you're high maintenance about. Maybe it's how your house looks. Maybe you're high maintenance about holidays. Every holiday has to be perfect. Uh, you, you know, Hallmark Channel is always on during Christmas time. Um, maybe it's never being late. Maybe you're one of those people who can never be late, right? And, and no matter if your house is burning down, you won't be late to a meeting, right? Maybe it's that. Uh, maybe it's, it's your image, right? We all post social media pictures. Maybe you want to look like Bear Gryllis out in a mountaintop somewhere. I don't know. But we're all high maintenance about something. I think we're all chasing a little bit of perfection in our lives. A little bit. And so here in Mark, we have these two stories where Jesus argues for mercy when the Pharisees want perfection. So Jesus is on the side of mercy. The Pharisees are on the side of perfection. It's like a boxing match in these two stories. Now, the perfection that the Pharisees were seeking, it was a religious perfection. So it was a moralistic perfection. It was getting everything right because they thought if we could get the whole law right down to the T, then we'd be worthy of God. If we could do everything exceptionally well so that there's, there's no dirt on us according to God's law, then we're good with God. Then we're worthy of God. And that may, not, may or may not be your struggle when it comes to perfection, but I would say in one way or the other, we all have a struggle. We all have a idea of what, what a perfect life is would look like. And so we're going to look at these two stories starting in Mark 2. And again, these are two stories that have the same point. And uh, so let's look together. This is Mark 2, verse 23. And this is the, the word of the Lord. It says this, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He to them, had read what David did when he need and was hungry. He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. 
the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. All right, so these are two stories, but they make the same point. And, and they make the same point that we need to trade our perfectionism for mercy. And the way they make this point is by connecting them both with the Sabbath. The Sabbath uh, was one day a week. We kind of, most of us have an idea of what the Sabbath is, but it was a one-day rest during the week. Um, for the Jews, it was Saturday night to Sunday night. And it was a time where they were just supposed to shut down and, and focus on, on God. Um, God himself instituted the Sabbath. Um, and, and I'll say this, the Sabbath is a good thing. It's not that Jesus is attacking the Sabbath or saying no more rest. He's not doing that. The Sabbath is, is a good thing. I mean, how many of us wouldn't want a 24-hour period of intentional rest? Right? Don't we all crave that? Like when, when, it, when Bonnie and I get going really, really fast, the biggest need is rest. Hey, what can we pray for? Pray for rest. Pray for rest. Well, hey, just shut down and take a Sabbath, you know, is kind of the idea. And so we've been working on that. Okay, how can we do sundown Friday to sundown Saturday and have that be our 24-hour Sabbath period? God designed us to need rest. You know, God, when God made mankind, he made us to work and to rest. And if we don't work and we don't rest, then we're missing something about being human and our calling. We're designed for work. We're designed for rest. It's, it's just like God. God created, and then he rested. And that's what we're supposed to do as well. We create, we work, and we rest. And so when Jesus, when, when God establishes his people, the Israelites, in the book of Exodus, he says this. He says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. God makes a point to say the two busiest times of your year, you're still going to take a day off. You're still going to take a day off because I created you to work and to rest. They go together. So that was a requirement of God. And I need you to think Old Testament, New Testament. When Paul says in, in Galatians that the law, which God gave in the Old Testament, acted as a guardian for his people until Jesus came. All right, so the law guards the hearts of the people. It protects the people from straying away from God. That was the intention of the law in the Old Testament, and it pointed to this moment when Jesus came into the world. God knew that people would, would not be able to keep the whole law, but he gave it as these these guardrails, these fences that people needed to stay in. And here's another verse in Exodus that talks about the Sabbath, and you see how important the Sabbath is to God. It's a big deal to stay within the guardrails. He says this in Exodus 31, 14. He says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. That's pretty serious, right? Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath 
observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Okay, so we might read this passage and say, does God really want to kill people? No, but he's God, okay? Just like you don't mess with Texas, you don't mess with God, okay? It's just the way it goes. You don't mess with God, right? This is, if God says it, do it. And so he says, whoever, whoever doesn't obey the Sabbath is going to be put to death, cut off from the people. The consequences are pretty severe because God set apart the nation of Israel to be that holy nation that Christ would come through. So he's setting them apart. He's like, you need to follow what I say. And he's not messing around. But notice it says, it is holy for you. For you. It is holy for you. It's supposed to be set apart, and it's for you. So while it's enforced with a heavy hand, the intention is that it's for you. It's for your good. The law is for your good. If God puts something in the Bible, it's not to withhold things from you, but it's actually for your long-term good. So, what's the deal with Jesus then? Right? The Pharisees are freaking out because they find Jesus and his disciples walking through uh, wheat fields, uh, picking up uh, wheat and rubbing it in their hands and eating the, the wheat berries. What is going on? That's work in their eyes. But I think what this shows us is something extremely important. We, use, we find this word profane. Don't profane God um, in this Old Testament passage. And what you see here is you don't profane God by failing to perform perfectly. You profane God by having a hard heart. Because these Pharisees wanted the system down. They had the system down. They, they, they didn't want anything. It was like a, it's like when your car throws an error code, you know? It's like, that does not compute. No, can't do that. That's not the kind of heart that God wants. He actually wants soft hearts. And so while these Pharisees made a big deal of practicing the Sabbath, their hearts, it was in their hearts, it wasn't about God, it was about them and what they were doing and how well they were doing the Sabbath. Oh, I can really rest. I can get really, really serious about rest. I can rest better than anybody, you know? Um, so... What happened with the Pharisees is that they had focused entirely on the structure of the Sabbath, and they missed the heart of it entirely. They weren't spending that day thanking God, praising God, reflecting. They were thinking like, man, I'm doing a great job on resting. Doing an awesome job on resting. And they made the Sabbath—this is extra-biblical. They, they made the Sabbath a, uh, a crazy system where they had 39 specific things that you weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath. That included walking, uh, long walks. That included picking grain. They got really, really exact on the Sabbath. They kind of became militant about it, which reminds me of the show Bonnie and I have watched before where the boss is, is doing a stress seminar, and he says, anybody who's experiencing stress at the end of the day will be fired. And I think that's hilarious. But uh, <laughs> but that's kind of what the Pharisees did. They were so exact on, on stress, how could, or on rest. How could you rest? How could you be free? 
tell someone from the Northwest that they can't go hiking on their Sabbath. It's not okay. It's just not okay. But that wouldn't have fit their grid. So, um, so they ask Jesus, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and he tells them a story about David, who the Bible tells us is a man after God's own heart. David was after God's heart. He wasn't after the letter of the law. He was after the heart of God. And so God, Jesus makes a point to talk about David. And he talks about a time when David was in wartime and him and his soldiers uh, ate the only thing that was available to them, which was the bread of presence, which without going into a whole lot of backstory, it's a holy loaf of bread, okay? It's a very important <laughs> loaf of bread. It was baked to exact measurement. After they baked this bread, they had to, to measure it very specifically and make sure that it matched the right dimensions, and it was only to be eaten by the priests. And uh, whoever, if someone ate it who wasn't a priest, they could be killed. But yet David goes in, and it's the only thing available to him, and he eats it and feeds all his men, too. And you wonder, why did God allow that? because David was after God's heart. And God cared about David's physical well-being. God cared about David's stomach, that he would keep going in this time of war. So he allowed David to take that bread. And so in the same way Jesus tells the Pharisees, the Sabbath isn't made, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made for you, to serve you, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So there's two things here. First of all, we need to recognize that we need the Sabbath. We need rest. We need to practice that. And not in a stringent, tight, perfect way, but in the spirit of it. it have a spirit of rest. But also that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Last week we talked about how Jesus brings new wine into new wineskins. This is a new time. Jesus is here. That law it was the guardian, and now this is the age of the heart. Jesus wants to focus and start with the condition of your heart. Jesus wants to transform your heart because then all of your actions flow out of your heart. He doesn't just want your behavior. He wants your desires. He came to change what you actually want, which is pretty cool. And so Sabbath isn't supposed to be this stressful chore. It's supposed to be true rest, a time of thanksgiving, a time where you can step back and celebrate what God is doing in your life. It's for your good. It's an invitation to trust God's work in our lives. That's one thing I think we have trouble with sometimes is letting go. There's so much to do in our lives. There's so much that, that we need to take care of. Um, and, and maybe your day off just seems like an errand day, like I'm always going, going, going. And maybe the Sabbath invitation is for you to just shut down so you can take your time reading scripture, listening to praise music, going for a walk. Whatever it is that recharges you, God wants you to be recharged. He does not want you to be on a hamster wheel, always going, always going, always going, always going. And so for Jesus and his disciples, walking through a wheat field and picking grain was actually nourishing to their souls. And that's what God wants with Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus can say that because he's Lord, right? He's king. He can declare that. 
And so let's go to the next story. This next story takes it up a notch. Um, so now Jesus is not out in a wheat field. He's actually in the synagogue, where part of that Sabbath routine is to gather at the synagogue. So he's there, and he sees a man with a withered hand. Now, that word withered, it means something happened to his hand. He got injured some way. It got smashed or broken or, or something like that. And obviously, medical care is a little bit different then than it was now. So maybe it healed very disjointed. Whatever it was, his hand was withered. And also, at that time, people worked with their hands, right? So if you didn't have a hand that could do work, that was going to economically affect you in a negative way. So, um, so the, the Pharisees are watching Jesus. It's almost like a setup. They're watching to see if Jesus heals this man's hand. And they're like this, the referees on the Sabbath. You know, they're ready to blow the whistle as soon as they see Jesus do something that's not allowed on their, their grid of 39 rules. Um, and so Jesus calls the man close to him, and he says, it says, uh, is it lawful? He says this to the Pharisees. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. This was a good thing. This was a restored life. This, was, this man could work again. This man could have a living again. This man could get back to normal life, and Jesus did it on the Sabbath, which was a big deal. You weren't supposed to do that on the Sabbath. It didn't fit in the grid. It wasn't lawful. That's all the Pharisees were concerned about. They weren't rejoicing that this man got his life back. They were angry that Jesus broke the rules. Don't do that. We set the rules. Nobody touches the rules, okay? Don't move my cheese or whatever. You know, they, they were really upset. They were fussy. The Pharisees are fussy people, okay? And uh, they, they wanted to do everything right, get everything perfect, and Jesus is like, no, we're healing somebody right here and now. I don't care. Because I love mercy more than the rules, more than perfection, more than doing everything exactly right. And I want to be clear, when I talk about the rules, I'm not saying Jesus just threw away the law. It's all these, all these policies that they came up with in addition to the law. So I want to be clear on that. But Jesus says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? So they're focused on the minutia, and Jesus goes for the heart. Do you actually want to do good, or do you want to do harm? Do you want this let continue to let this man suffer? And it says he was angry with them. He was grieved at the hardness of their heart. And that's the key word, the hardness of their heart. Their heart was all focused on them, and it was closed to this guy. Closed to what could God do in this person? What does God want to do in this person? They were so focused on themselves getting it right that they didn't care about the condition that this man was in. Basically, they were about personal perfection, and they lost God's heart for mercy. 
And I think today it's so easy for us to, like we look at the Pharisees and we think, yeah, we're not like them. But we can be. We can be Christian perfectionists. We can create our own grid on what a Christian looks like and what they listen to and what they act like. And if somebody falls outside of that, we can shun them. It happens today. It happens today. We can fill our lives with good Christian things, books, podcasts. We can have Christian art on the walls, and yet our heart can be way far from God. We can hate people who are far from God. It, you know it happens today. And so I would say if, if there's anything in your heart that hates people who are far from God, you need to ask God to break your heart. You need to ask God to soften your heart. Because God doesn't need us living angry at others. He needs us to have our hearts broken and soft and full of mercy for those who are far from God. So we need to ask God to do that today. Now, perfectionism, like I said, it looks different in a lot of different people. Perfectionism might have you in a trap of always serving, always saying yes, always doing whatever you can and not resting. And maybe you're doing that because you want that approval or you want to look good. And God would ask you to surrender that. Another way we look for perfection, just we can just look at our immediate families. Are we demanding perfection from our kids? Are we demanding perfection from our spouse? Do we blow up when our kids do something wrong? Like right away go to anger. That might be a struggle with perfectionism. What if your house was filled with the mercy of God? What if you were able to train your kids to love and be merciful like God? That doesn't mean there's never rules or there's no order or there's no boundaries, but the heart behind it is one that looks like Jesus, right? Heart of mercy. Jesus calls us to love mercy and not perfection. Jesus wants us to be merciful more than he wants our lives to be neat and tidy, right? God wants us to love mercy. And here's my point as we close today. Mercy is messy. Mercy is messy, all right? It's not clean. It's not tidy. It doesn't fit easily in a grid. It makes us stop. It allows our lives to be interrupted, uh, it's, it's real. Mercy is real. And if we love mercy, we can expect our lives to be interrupted again and again and again. But Jesus came to show us mercy. Jesus interrupted, Jesus had his life interrupted in a pretty significant way, being in heaven, coming to earth, which if you've been around earth, it's not the greatest place to live. Um, but Jesus came to heal our wounds, the physical ones, the emotional ones, the spiritual ones. Jesus was merciful for us. That's why we're all gathered here today. And if we're his disciples, then we also need to extend that mercy out to the world. Um, so my, my final question for you as you ponder this, and maybe you do need to respond today. Maybe you do need to come forward and and allow Stephen or, or myself to pray for you in this. And I want to say, I'm not, I don't get it perfect, right? I'm not perfect. There's definitely times where I should have showed mercy and I didn't. 
So good thing that we also receive mercy, right? The amazing thing is we receive mercy for the times we don't show mercy. That's pretty awesome, right? So let's stand on that. But the question for you as we close today, is your heart chasing perfection or mercy? Are you after the perfect life or are you after a merciful life? Because to Jesus, these two pursuits are often at odds, right? They're often at odds. Um, I had a, when I was a youth pastor in Portland, I worked for Pastor Steve. And Pastor Steve is one of the strongest guys I've ever known, and he's also one of the most compassionate guys I've ever known. And one day, we, we were on a pretty busy intersection in Portland, so we'd get requests from time to time. And I had a guy show up who... Uh, just needed a lot of help, and he was looking for a ride, and he was looking help paying for his prescription meds. And so my mind went straight to policy. Like, well, what's our policy? I don't know. Uh, here, wait right here. I'm going to go talk to Steve. And so I went and I talked to Steve. I'm like, hey, I got this guy here. Uh, I've never met him. He's, uh, he, he needs help with his prescription meds. He needs a ride. Uh, what's our policy on that? And Steve was like, our policy is we're a church, we help people. <laughs> okay? Our policy is we're a church, we help people. So I spent the next hour helping this guy get his meds and, and, uh, and giving him a ride. But man, so often we go to the system when God wants us to just show mercy. Just be free. Just live free to show mercy. And I'm not saying all policies are bad, Okay? Uh, I've been around the world enough to know that poli some policies are important, but policy can't trump mercy. And sometimes that's where our mind goes. And so if we are Jesus people, then we help other people. Then we show mercy. And the good news is today, if you don't hear anything else, if you're struggling right now, what this means is you don't have to be perfect. You can give up your pursuit of being perfect. I'm not saying, hey, here's another way to be perfect. Love mercy so you can be perfect. No. You can give that up and just love mercy. Allow God to take care of you. Allow God to free you up. Allow God to speak to you. Allow God to change your heart. And just give. Just give. Just let that love flow out of you. That love is something that God pours in us that flows out of us. Sometimes we really complicate it. It's not that complicated. When you seek him, your life should be filled with the love and mercy of Jesus. And then you just let it spill out. So we're going we're gonna to pray this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And if you need prayer this morning, feel free to, to come forward. Uh, feel free to, to let us know. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, but let's pray. Lord, I will always be challenged by the picture of mercy that we see in Jesus. I'll always be challenged by you, by the way that you love so deeply and so freely. And Lord, I pray that you would allow everyone in this room to experience again the mercy of God on their own lives. That you love us and forgive us, that you're not asking us to be perfect, but you're asking us to receive mercy. So Lord, for those who 
feel like there's some work that needs to be done in their heart, I pray that they would receive that mercy today again. Be renewed. Come again to the altar. His arms are open wide. Lord, that they would receive that today and remember forgiveness. Remember that we don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect. And that he, you died for us. You died for all that stuff, all our failures. Lord, we don't have to be that perfect person, but I, I pray, God, that you would allow us to be transformed. Allow us to be transformed and give us transformed eyes for others. Give us merciful hearts. Lord, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.